Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Evidence Series, which is taught from the Book of Esther. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles today and open up to Esther chapter 4, and we are uh, continuing our series, studying out the book of Esther, and man, it's been a help, and it's been enjoyable. I hope you're having as much fun as I am uh, studying it, and if you're not, join in. It's, it's all right. It's a good chapter, great book, and uh, we're going to be in there. Before we get into the Word this morning, I just want to know how many of you would say uh, that you are what people would call a hard sleeper? that you're a hard, it takes a lot to wake you up. I mean, be honest. Okay, good. I am, I am a hard sleeper, and uh, except for at men's retreat. It's, you have to be almost unconscious to sleep in the cabin sometimes at men's retreat, but <coughs> I'm a hard sleeper, and you know what? It actually, it worked out well when we had babies in the home. Uh, it worked out well for me. It didn't work out well for my wife, but it worked out well. Uh, but you know what? Being a right. hard sleeper. You got to read? Okay. I have no idea what that was. There's something playing back there. Darkness. It's cold is sensed. It's power is gripping. We're going to watch our It's uncertainty video for the year. is paralyzing. Its thickness is felt. But strike just one match, and instantly there Where's Robert? We're going to blame Robert. He's trying to do something. Okay, well, Esther 4 is where we are. We're not going to be in Mark 12, where that video is. Uh, but you know what? Being a, being a hard sleeper, um, I, I know that growing up, uh, it would be hard for my mom to, to wake me up. There would be times that my mom, she could literally come in when I was a kid. Uh, she could come in and she could clean an entire room, have the music on. Uh, she could go through. She could vacuum right next to my head, and I would not wake up. I was all the, all the time growing up. Um, I know right now, if I have to get up early, if I have to wake up uh, any time before I normally get up, um, like some of you, you wake up at the godforsaken hours of like three and four or five in the morning. Uh, if I have to get up at four in the morning to catch a flight or something, I have to set like three alarms. I can't get away with one. And if I stay in a hotel and I have to get up, like the little hotel wake-up phone calls, those don't work. If I'm gonna get a wake-up call, it's like when you call, you're gonna let it ring about 25 times and then call again, do that five times. And then if I'm not up, just send the maintenance guy in. <laughs> just have him come and just hit me or something. I, I do not wake up easily. As you and I come to Esther chapter number four, what we're gonna discover this morning is that with the children of Israel, they didn't wake up easily. And we're not talking about a physical sleep, or we're really talking about a spiritual sleep. And so this morning, we're gonna look in their life and discover what it took to wake them up. But I wanna ask you today, not physically, but spiritually, what does it take for you to wake up? What does it take for God to get your attention? Today, we're going to continue in our study. If you've been with us, we've been traveling through the book of Esther, and we're going to start in Esther chapter 4 this morning. So stand with me, if you would, Esther chapter number 4, and we're just going to read the first four verses of Esther 4, and then we'll catch everyone up to speed. 
and then we'll get into our message. Esther chapter four and beginning in verse number one, we read this, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Uh, then, Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Again, this morning, we're going to discover what it took for uh, God to allow the children of Israel to be woken up or to be awakened. And we're going to discover some helpful truths, I think, that will help us this week realize that this this is the the truth we're going to see today. I believe that every trial that we face Every trial, whether, whether deep or shallow, whether a mighty trial or a small trial, every single trial we face, God allows it into our life to help us turn to him. I believe we can see the principle in scripture, and we're gonna see that in the life of Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews in Esther 4. And I just wanna encourage you today, have a mindset going to the message. God, speak to my heart. And Lord, help me to approach this week. Help me to approach this week saying, God, whatever comes my way, Help it to turn my attention to you. And I hope that's a decision we'll make today. Let's pray and then get into his word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment and just commit the time to the Lord. Just ask him to speak to you. Ask God to help you hear not only the words today, but to hear his spirit as he speaks today. Lord, again, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it uh, speaks to us and how it is alive. And um, Father, I pray that today that you would use your spirit and that you'd help each one of us to hear from you exactly what you have. Lord, I thank you for the word of God and how uh, impactful it is. And I thank you for this passage we're coming to today and how it's Uh, encouraged me and strengthened my walk. And Lord, I pray that you would convey those truths to us as your people. And Lord, uh, use it today to glorify you. I again pray that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would uh, spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their Savior. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. We've been traveling through the book of Esther, and of course, we would know that Esther would fall in between the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. I know you can't really see the graph too well, but uh, just kind of helping us see that uh, the book of Esther would be right, right here, about 483 or 485 uh, BC. And of course, Esther, what we've done is we've come into this book, and we've met a king, King Ahasuerus, and he was the king of 127 provinces. And as the story opens up, or the book unfolds for us in Esther chapter number one, we find that King Ahasuerus was a very proud man. Uh, Well, how do we know that? Well, because of being king over 127 provinces, he threw a 180-day party. And he threw that party with the intent, if you go read Esther chapter 1 and verse uh, 1 through verse number 6, you find he threw it with the intent to celebrate his greatness. 
He wanted people to know how great of a man he was and how mighty he was and the great reign that he had. And so he kind of threw this 180-day party to flaunt his greatness. And then at the end of that 180 days, he thought, you know, we've thrown a party for all 127 provinces, but what about the city of Shushan here in the palace? Boy, this city needs a party. And so he uh, endeavored to throw another seven-day party. So 187 days celebrating his greatness. That sounds like a proud man, doesn't it? Well, he didn't stop there by trying to flaunt his goodness or his greatness. He didn't stop by just saying, let's celebrate it with a party. At the end of the seven days, we read that he made a very unwise decision. What was the decision? Well, that unwise decision is he not only wanted to flaunt his greatness, but he also wanted to see people, help people to see how great he was by flaunting his wife. And so he calls upon his wife, Vashti, to come in and to model before his counselors and before uh, some of the high, uh, uh, those reigning uh, rulers with him. And of course, she denied that. She said, no, I'm not going to come in before you. And him in his, uh, what we've called a drunken stupor, he just continues to make, if I can say it this way, he continues to make stupid decisions. And what was the next decision? Well, he listened to one of his counselors. Remember his name? Mamukin. What do we call him? Mapukin. Yeah. Just uh, why? It just came to me one time when I was preaching at a youth rally. I don't know. Uh, Mamukin. Uh, man, he gets up and he says, King, listen. If Vashti is not going to listen to you, our wives aren't going to listen to us. And something needs to be done. You need to banish her. And so, King Ahasuerus, he listens. He banishes Vashti. And Esther chapter 2, verse number 1, tells us that when his anger or his wrath was appeased, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what he had done unto her. And he began to look back on his decision with regret. Boy, you know what? There's a great lesson right there. We didn't even talk about it. There's a wonderful lesson there about the voices that influence your decisions. There's a great lesson there, isn't it? Man, you think about that. Who was influencing the decisions that he was making? Uh, unwise counselors were influencing those decisions. I think even about the next unwise decision. Remember what took place in chapter number two a few weeks ago? Because here he is in his loneliness, right? King Ahasuerus and now without Vashti and Mamukin and the counselors come to him again and say, King, we have another wonderful idea. You should throw a beauty pageant to find yourself a new wife. Get all the young virgins here in the kingdom and, and uh, let's, let's force them to come in and be before you and, and be relationally with you. And whichever one pleases you the most, then you can select them to be queen. And so they just begin to add foolish decision to foolish decision to foolish decision. And here's, here's what we can learn about counsel. We need to be careful about the people or the influences that we allow to help us make our decisions. Because not all wise people are wise people. Not everybody who seems to be uh, good on this topic are really wise on this topic. You see, he had these foolish counselors and they're just helping him get himself deeper and deeper and deeper into bad decisions. Well, we looked at this in Esther chapter number two, and we saw what we called a godless culture. And we saw within this godless culture that there was a man with godly character, and his name was Mordecai. You see, King Haman 
or excuse me, King Ahasuerus, he was going to do this beauty pageant and God had a, had a man, his name was Mordecai and he was a, he was a, a, a Jew and he was one of, that we've discovered to be, be a man of God and he was actually raising his cousin Hadassah or Esther in his house and he was a man with character. And he was a man that took time to invest his character into those around him. And we don't need to re-preach that, but that was the message on Mother's Day, on March, uh, May 12th, that we understand the importance of investing our character into those around us and understanding that there's a godless culture even now that needs people with godly character to stand up and to invest in the next generation. Well, that's what Mordecai was doing. And we saw God's providence in all of this because even though you can't see God in the book of Esther, you see God all over the book of Esther. And what was God doing? God was preparing the table. God was preparing the scene, if you will, and setting everything up so that now as uh, King Ahasuerus is going to have this beauty pageant, there's this young uh, Jew, this young girl by the name of Esther. You can see the guards come and knock on Mordecai's door and they ask, do you have any young virgins here? And he says, well, yes, there's one. Her name is Hadassah. They say, we're, we're taking her. And when you read in Esther chapter Two and verse number, I don't know, I think it's verse number six, when it says that they brought her, it means to bring with force. They said, we're taking her. Well, even though they thought they were in control, we find that God, he controls kings, doesn't he? Man, they may think that they're high and mighty, but the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that as the rivers of water, God turns the king's heart. And here's God in control of this entire situation. And long story short about Esther, we know in Esther 2 that she becomes queen. Well, last week we met a new character in Esther chapter number 3. His name was Haman. If you remember Haman. Haman was uh, probably one of the counselors that we don't read about in chapter number 1. But he becomes prime minister in Esther chapter 3 and verse number 1. He becomes really second in command. Uh, you would have the king and queen, and then you would have Haman. Well, the command went out that since Haman is promoted, that you, everybody, are going to bow and reverence Haman. Now, it's not bowing in respect. That's not what it means. We would say bow in reverence to be bowing in respect. That's not the command. The command, when you begin to do a word study, means to bow and worship as one would a god. So you need to bow before Haman as one would bow before God. And yet we find this man, Mordecai, the one with character, we find him not bowing. People begin to press him daily. Esther chapter three and verse number four, they begin to press daily. Hey, why aren't you bowing? Why aren't you bowing? Why aren't you bowing? And he kept giving them the same answer. What was his answer? Well, because I'm a Jew. Well, because I am a Jew. Well, what was he saying when he was saying, because I am a Jew? He is simply claiming, I am a man of, I am a people of God. I don't bow, I don't worship anybody but the Lord Jehovah. I don't worship anybody but the Lord Jehovah God. And we saw him with character standing with courage and saying, no, I am not going to bow because Mordecai understood this, that what you bow to shows what you worship. And we asked you the question and me the question last week, what am I bowing to in life? What, what is receiving worship in my life? What am I ascribing worth to in my life? Because what I bow to, what I give my time to, what I invest in, that's showing where my worship is. Well, 
because of him not bowing, Haman, you remember what he did? He came up with a conspiracy. Let's go, I'm gonna go to the king and I'm going to tell him that there are a people that are a parasite. They are of no good in this kingdom. Remember, they're, they're of no good in this kingdom. They're, they're, they're not doing anything. And so king, we need to make a decree that on the 13th of March, remember this was April, they were talking, on the 13th of March, so 11 months from now, you need to make a decree, king, that in all 127 provinces, the Jewish people will be exterminated. Well, he got the king drunk. King signed it into command. And then we read in Esther chapter three and verse number 15, that the, uh, verse 10 through verse 15, that the command goes out through all 127 provinces. And verse 15 ends with these phrase, this phrase, and the city of Shushan was perplexed. That's interesting, perplexed. That's a, that's a good teaching word, isn't it, John? Perplexed, yeah. You use that when you teach a lot, perplexed. Man, it means, it means the whole city, they're, they're confused. The whole city, they're, they're scratched. They're, this is a head scratcher. You say, well, why was it a head scratcher? I believe it's because those in Shushan the palace, those of the Media Persian Empire, they knew that the Jews weren't a threat. They knew that they were part of society. One man believes that up at this point, there would probably be 15 million Jews living in the Media Persian, all 127 uh, provinces. That's a lot of Jewish people. And so the city's perplexed now because of this decree, all given because of Haman. And we would say, well, why was Haman, why did he give all of this? And we saw this last week because of his pride and his anger. Right? You never make wise decisions when you act in pride and anger. Isn't that true? Isn't that, isn't that true in the home? Isn't that true in the workplace with a family? I never make wise decisions when I'm acting on behalf of my pride or in my anger. And what we saw, we saw, we saw Haman as a tool of the devil being used to annihilate God's people. It's been happening since Genesis. All the enemies of God that tried to annihilate all of God's people, and here we see it again in the book of Esther. That, the, that Satan, he's just using Haman as a pawn and say Haman was that tool. And we use that little thought to ask us the question, are you a tool or a target? Are you a tool in the hand of the enemy? Does he use you to cause divisiveness in the people of God or are you a target of the enemy? Is he looking at you and saying, man, they are worshiping God. They just will not bow. They, I can't get to them. Man, I hope that this week we were all targets. Well, as we continue our series and we come into Esther in chapter number four, we, we find some things taking place. And I want you to take your Bible with me this morning. And I want you to notice with me, if you would, let me skip, I missed some slides. Let me just jump through all this real fast. Micah told me there's a faster way to do it, but I don't know what it is. So I want you to take, take your Bible and I want you to notice with me what I'm calling a heavy burden today. As you get into Esther chapter number three, I, I read about a heavy, or chapter number four, I read about a heavy burden. Here's what I read in Esther chapter four and verse number one. It says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into, uh, excuse me, he went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. As chapter four opens up, we discover that it's becoming 
public knowledge uh, about the fate of what would be happening to the people of God. We read that the city was perplexed. We read that the people were confused. And uh, I believe, again, that the Jews were viewed as part of society. They were viewed as, as maybe beneficial to society. And so why would the king make this decision? Why uh, We're so confused on this. And then word, chapter four, verse one, word gets to Mordecai. Mordecai finds out about the decree. And I want you to notice what it says that he did at the end of verse number one. It says that he went out and he cried a loud and a bitter cry, a loud and a bitter cry. As I was beginning to study for this message, as, as I do, I'll, I'll go through each chapter and just read it multiple times and try to just get it in my mind. The very first time I read chapter four with, with this message in mind, the first question I asked was, what, is, what was a loud and bitter cry? Why does the Bible describe it as that? I mean, does it just mean that it was loud and hurtful? What does it mean? And so I began to do a little word study on it, and I found out that the words loud and bitter meant this, a mighty and a heavy cry. A mighty and a heavy cry. We might say a mighty and a burdened cry. Here's what, Esther, here's what Mordecai was doing. Mordecai, he was crying with a heaviness that was felt in his spirit. It was a heaviness that was felt because of a, because of a hardship that he was facing. And <clears throat> excuse me, here we have Mordecai and the Jews facing this very uh, heavy and, and heartbreaking situation. It was so devastating that we read in verse two that Mordecai goes before the king's gate in, the, in, in sackcloth and uh, grieving clothes. It's almost sackcloth and ashes would be something that would be tied in with someone who was mourning the loss of a loved one. It would be, it would be tied in with somebody who was grieving, like uh, we referred to earlier in, in our opening reading, Job. Job was one that we find in sackcloth and ashes for much of the book of Job. And why was he doing that? Because he was grieving. He was in a hardship. He was in a deep trial. He was mourning the loss of his loved ones. He was mourning uh, perhaps maybe the, the hand of God. He felt like the hand of God maybe against him or, or whatever the case might be. And so this would be somebody, uh, something that is brought on by a very deep, difficult circumstance that's causing you to just grieve in a very mighty way. It says in verse two that he went before the gate. If you remember, he was supposed to be in the gate, within the king's gate, but it helps us understand why he didn't go in the king's gate was because you don't go there mourning. One man said this about that, nothing but that which is happy and pleasant must appear at court and everything that was melancholy must be banished. This is why you read verse two. You can't go in there and cry. Why? Because the king won't have it. And so he stands before the gate, just right outside the gate, right outside that meeting area. And he's just facing and carrying this, this heavy burden. Can I just say this morning, no doubt that you've been to the place where you're carrying a heavy burden. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been to the place of carrying that heavy burden, carrying a situation that, uh, provi that, that provoked us to a place of a mighty and a heavy cry. For some, maybe it's been something major. Maybe it was a major health concern or 
uh, something major like the death of a loved one, or maybe it was the loss of a job, or maybe a relationship struggle, or uh, maybe it was something that wasn't necessarily major to everybody else, but it was major to you. Maybe it was just a, a hurt friendship, or ill-spoken words, or uh, just some sort of a personal struggle. We've all been there where we're at the place that Mordecai was of just having this heavy and this uh, burdened down heart. Well, as Esther chapter four opens up, that's where we see Mordecai. Regardless of what your burden is, the Bible tells us that we're all gonna face these burdens, doesn't it? And I think of 1 Peter chapter four, verse number 12 and 13, where it says, beloved, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in as much as you're partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad uh, also with exceeding joy. Man, we know that trials are gonna come. We know that heavy heartaches are going to come. We know that heaviness and burdens are going to be in our life. And that's exactly where we see Mordecai and the people of God under a heavy burden. But as we continue reading, I find this morning that Esther, she discovers Mordecai's life, discovers what's taking place. And really, though, though she doesn't know the situation, I believe that in Esther, we see this, what I'm calling a heartfelt desire. What was her desire? A lot of people read uh, Esther chapter four and they say, well, Esther just knew that Mordecai, he could be in trouble for being within the king's gate and, and mourning and all that. But I don't believe that because the writer helps us understand that he was outside of the gate. He wasn't inside. I don't think Esther was thinking, oh no, what's gonna happen to Mordecai? I think Esther was thinking, oh no, what happened to Mordecai? Like what's, what's going on? Why is he burdened down? And so what we read, look at verse number four, down through verse 11, it says, so Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, and then the queen was exceedingly grieved. So they told, they told Esther, hey, Mordecai is out in front of the gate and he's in sackcloth and ashes and it looks like he's mourning and it says that she was grieved. Man, she's hurt in her spirit. What, what's going on? It says, uh, verse number uh, four right in the middle, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. So she sent a change of clothes and the change of clothes wasn't, hey, Mordecai, shape up and get dressed. It was, hey, I wanna encourage you. I wanna use my resources to be a blessing to you, Mordecai. It's okay, whatever you're going through, we'll get through it. It's all right, Mordecai. Verse number four says he received it not. Notice verse five through 11. It says, then called Esther for Hattach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to uh, uh, attend upon her and gave him the commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. Hey, why are you this way? Why are you mourning? So Hattach went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him, so Mordecai gave Hattach the uh, copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it under, unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and make supplication unto him for to make request before him for her people. And verse nine, Hattach came and told Esther the words of of Mordecai, and then again Esther spake unto Hattach and, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. 
What was the commandment? Well, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come in or shall come unto the king into the inner court uh, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. So <clears throat> what we read is this discourse going on between uh, um, uh, Mordecai and Esther. And in the first part, I believe we see Esther trying to use what was in her power to be an encouragement to Mordecai, right? She's saying, hey, you need to change. Just get up. It's okay. Whatever's going on. And, and Mordecai writes back and says, no, I resist it. And then Esther sends back word. Okay, what's taking place? And Mordecai replies, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard that uh, Haman's going to pay into the king's treasury uh, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of money so that he can kill the Jews? Haven't you heard about this, Esther? And here's a, here's a copy of the letter. Don't just believe the word that I have. Here's a copy of the sealed king's decree. And Esther, you need to do something about this. Esther, you need to go before the king. And Esther replies, I can't. That's forbidden. You're not supposed to be in the king's court unless you're called. And I haven't been called into the king's presence for a month. Someone would say, well, why did they have that law? This is a, a media Persian law and, and many kingdoms have had it. And uh, I love how one man described it. He said this, he said, this was the law made not so much in prudence for the greater safety of the king's person as in pride then being seldom seen and not without great difficulty, he might be adored as a little God. It made the kings themselves unhappy, confining, confining them to their retirements for fear they should be seen. This made the royal palace little better than a royal prison and the kings themselves could not uh, but become morose and uh, perhaps melancholy and so a terror to themselves. Many have their lives made miserable by their own haughtiness and ill nature. This, this decree even shows us the, the pride of the king again. Man, no one's gonna come before me unless I call for you. I think I might try that as a pastor sometime. <laughs> Micah, you can't come to my office unless I call for you. I'm just kidding. Man, what a hard way to lead people. No one could ever ask you questions. No one could ever. Now, <clears throat> do you realize that when the person we're reading about who's saying this is the king's wife. Some of you men are like, hmm, I'm taking some notes on this one. He's, she's literally saying nobody, including family, can come before the king unless they've been called. When I read that, I just read, what a proud man. Ahasuerus, <laughs> what, what a proud dude. I mean, he's just, he was just full of himself. So because of this law, Esther replies, she cannot go before the king. We'll see what takes place next. But you know what I can learn from these verses, just verse 4 through verse 11, what I think is helpful to me is just understanding that Esther, she didn't know what Mordecai was going through, but she still reached out to be an encouragement to him. And here's a simple principle, I think, that sometimes what people need is for someone to encourage them during their heartache. That, that's what I read. I mean, just, I, again, we're trying to bring out just little simple applications. I, I read this and I see Esther truly concerned. What's going on in Mordecai's life? Mordecai, I wanna know why you're like this. What's happening? Here, get dressed. It'll be okay. 
I don't think she was doing this in fear. I think she was really doing this to be an encouragement, trying to do this to be a help to him. What's a simple little lesson that we can have? You know what? You may see somebody going through a trial. Don't assume that you know what they're going through. Don't assume that you know what's happening in other people's lives. It's better just to reach out and use whatever you can in your power to be an encouragement to them. It doesn't mean you have to use resources and buy them a change of clothes. That's what she did. But it might be just simply going to somebody and say, hey, I noticed your burden. How, how can I pray for you? Hey, I just noticed you've been down a little bit lately. What, man, if, if, if it's, I know it's not my business, but is there anything specific I could pray for? And just using your ability and using maybe your resources or your personality just to connect with somebody and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Man, Esther, she was that great encouragement, wasn't she? Man, she just tried to send word. Hey, what's going on? And I love the thought. The Bible, the Bible actually instructs this to Christians. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. That church at Thessalonica, man, they were a great uh, uh, people group doing this, just being an encouragement. But here's what we see. <coughs> Excuse me. We see this taking place in the life of Esther that she's uh, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with Mordecai. And here's Mordecai with his heavy burden. Here's Mordecai wondering what's going to happen to his people and sends word, Esther, don't you know what's taking place? And she sends back word, well, I, now I do know, but I can't go before the king. You, you got to know, Mordecai, here's the rules. What do we read next? I read what I find in verse 12 through verse number 14, what we call an honest reminder. This is probably one of the most uh, familiar portions of the book of Esther. Verse number 12, it says this, and they told Mordecai Esther's words. Hey, no one can go before the king. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Hey, tell her this. Hey, Hatach, give Esther this message. Notice her message. Notice his message to her. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And Esther, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Man, through these verses, we read Mordecai taking time to say to Esther, uh, Esther, <clears throat> you may not recognize this, but this situation includes you just like it does me. Uh, Esther, this may not be that big of a deal. You may not be worried about this now, but listen, this is a great ordeal. It, it affects you and it affects me. And Esther, you never know, but it might be, this might be God's very reasoning for you to be queen. This might be the reason that God has you in place for such a time as this. And Esther, you need to know that if you choose so, God will use you. But Esther, and pay attention to this, Esther, if you don't choose for God to use you, rest assured God's gonna use someone. God's gonna use someone. I love what Mordecai says to her when he says that. It's like he's saying to you, it's like he's saying to Esther, hey, Esther, God promised to deliver his people. He's gonna use somebody to do it. Why not you? Esther, why don't you step up? Esther, why don't you be willing? 
In these verses, I believe the honest reminder that Mordecai is giving, listen, the honest reminder that Mordecai is giving is simple. Esther, God has a purpose with your life. Esther, you need to step into working and wanting to fulfill God's purpose. Esther, you need to understand that God might have you here for such a time as this, and you're gonna choose if you're gonna follow God's purpose or not follow God's purpose, but understand God's purposes will be completed. He is God, and you are not. He is in control and orchestrating all of this, and Esther, you can be a tool in his hand, or you can fight against being used by God. That's what, that's what he's getting across in verse number 13 and 14, is uh, understanding that God has a purpose with your life, Esther, and, and this could be the very reason or God's reasoning for everything that we've gone through is to get you to this point. And what a great challenge for every believer, for every person to understand that God has a purpose with your life. And I, I think this today, that God's going to use somebody to bring glory to himself. God's going to use somebody to make a difference in Moses Lake. God's going to use somebody to make a difference in the lives of people that you're around. Why not you? Esther, God's going to, if, if deliverance doesn't come from you, Esther, enlargement and deliverance for the Jews is going to come from somewhere because God has promised to fulfill his plan. And Esther, God wants to work through you, so let him. Let him work through you. And can I simply say that I believe that the, the uh, um, passage in 1 Chronicles 16, 9 is still true today. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. What is that saying? God is still just looking for people to use. God is still looking for someone to say, you know what, maybe I'm in this situation because God allowed me to be in this situation. Maybe I'm in this circumstance because God allowed this circumstance to be in my life and wants to use me perhaps to bring him glory through this situation. Maybe my life is here for such a time as this. Maybe God has a purpose right here in this trial in my life. Maybe God is working behind the scenes as we see in the life of just about every Bible character, them looking and saying, God, what are you doing? And then looking back and saying, oh, that's what God did. And maybe you and I are going to get to the end of our life someday and look back and go, oh, that's what God did. Oh, that's why God allowed that. Oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, I see now. But we're too stubborn sometimes when we're in the trial, aren't we? Man, we're, we're too stubborn. We're kind of at the place. And I don't believe necessarily Esther's heart was stubborn. I believe that she was just kind of just wondering. When, when she sends back word, well, no one can go before the king. I think she was just kind of like, well, how could God use me? I mean, there's these rules and regulations set in place. Listen, there's these certain things that this is the way you do it. You just don't do it this way, Mordecai. And Mordecai had to reply almost as if to say, God's ways aren't your ways. God's thoughts aren't your thoughts. Esther, just be willing. Esther, would you just be willing? And this honest reminder to Esther, Esther, I just want to remind you, God has a purpose with you. God's going to use somebody, Esther. Why not you? Why not you? And I wonder today, why not you? Why can't God, why, why won't God, why wouldn't God want to use you? I, I believe tonight he does. I believe this morning he does. I believe God wants to use you to see your friends come to know him as Savior. 
I believe God wants to use you to uh, be an example at work and be the influence at work that helps people realize, you know, maybe the direction we're going isn't the best for our life. I believe God wants to use you to help that couple, that friend that you know, maybe not get divorced. I believe God wants to use you to help that friend maybe overcome a sin or, or something going on in their life. I believe God wants to use you and I, but sometimes we're like Esther and we say, well, that's just not how I do things. Well, that's just not what's going on. May we hear the honest reminder, why not you? God's gonna use somebody in Wenatchee, why not you? God's gonna use somebody with your family, why not you? God's gonna use someone in Moses, why not you? Man, may we have the heart to say, all right, God, I'm gonna surrender. And that's what we see in Esther. I want you to notice what I'm calling a humble return. A humble return. In our text, in Esther chapter number four, verse 15, we read these words. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Hey, go tell him this. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Esther sends back word, it's very simple, instruct the people to fast and pray. Now someone read this and they'd say, <coughs> I, didn't, I didn't see praying in there. <coughs> I said it, um, I think three, maybe two weeks ago, maybe three messages ago, that I believe that Mordecai wrote the book of Esther And I think that one of the reasons that you don't read about God in the book of Esther is because there were some laws against writing about God. That's why in Esther chapter two, he had to say, or Esther chapter three, he had to say, for I am a Jew. He was claiming God's people. He was claiming his heritage being a Benjamite without claiming the name of God. I think when you look at Esther chapter four, verse three, where it says the people were fasting and verse number 16, where the people were encouraged to fast, when you go back and you do some research in the Old Testament, you'll find that many times fasting and prayer were just coupled together. It was the same, it was the, if you're gonna talk about fasting, you're talking about praying. And I believe that this is a call that Esther sends out, hey, fast for me. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, um, a little secret language, if you will. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? Uh, many of you know there are missionaries in, in restricted access nations, and we've FaceTimed with them before. And if you'll recall, I think last year before our FaceTime, I said, now listen, we're going to FaceTime. And when he says this, here's what he means. Let me remember that. And I said, you know, when he says, uh, when he says we're thinking of you, that means we're praying for you. And when he says him, he's talking about God the Father. Or when he says, well, I just want to talk to you about the Father, he's saying, I want to talk to you about God. Well, what is that? It's like a secret code. Why? Because if he gets caught, he's going to get killed. And so they have to come up with some strategic ways. I believe that what we read in Esther chapter four, verse three and verse 16 is a strategic way of Mordecai helping the reader understand because a, a, a Jew would read this and go fasting and praying. They were, they were fasting and praying. They were fasting and praying. What was, what was God doing in all of this? What was Mordecai 
<coughs> excuse me, what was Esther getting back? Esther was getting back this. Hey, Mordecai, I'm gonna do God's purpose, but would you pray and fast? Would you ask God to help me? Mordecai, would you help the people turn their faces, turn their eyes back to the Lord? And I love her spirit. If I perish, I perish. I appreciate what one man said. It's like Esther's saying, if I perish, I perish. I cannot lose my life in a better cause. Better do my duty and die for my people than shrink from my duty and die with them. Hey, I'm gonna die one way or another. I might as well die doing God's will. I might as well die fulfilling God's purpose. And Esther, she believed that God's favor was upon her and, and she believed that God's favor was to be obtained by prayer and that his people are a praying people and he a prayer hearing God. And she knew it and uh, she knew it was the practice of good people in extraordinary cases to join fasting with prayer and many of them to join together in both. Listen, she knew that fasting and prayer were the common practice of the people of God. Hey, something needs to change, Mordecai. What's it need to be? We need God's help in this. We need God's help in this. <clears throat> Can I just help you understand, and, and all of us understand this today, that what I said at the beginning of the message, that any trial, whether great or small, it ought to turn our focus to the Lord. Any trial, whether big or small, it ought to turn us to the Lord. And when I see Esther encouraging prayer, I see Esther saying, let's turn our focus back to God. When I see the people in verse number three fasting, I see them deciding to turn their focus back to the Lord. God, we need your help in this. God, I can't go through this trial right now. God, I realize that you have allowed this situation into my life, and this is your plan. You've allowed it. We've been, we've been going through that series in Sunday school. We just finished in our Life Stage groups uh, that anchored series, being anchored to God through trials and anchored to our faith in the Word of God. And the one common thread we kept saying is that God, God does not make trials. He allows them. You say, well, pastor, I've, I've heard that people say, well, God did this to me. God gave me this cancer. God caused that person to die. God did this. Man, go read the principles of the word of God and you'll find here's what God says. I know it's gonna happen and I'll allow it because I wanna use it to draw you to me. He allows trials to turn us to him. Are there things that God does in our life? Yes, God corrects us, God chastens. We can go through all of that. But I'm simply talking this morning about understanding that there are trials that you and I face and you know what God wants to do in them? He wants us just to turn to him. He wants us to see that I brought this to you. I went through the verse a few months ago, uh, Matthew 11. I won't read the first, first verse. is coming to me, O ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. And uh, um, you can read it, uh, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. But notice verse number 30, 31. He says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy, if you were here a few months ago when I preached it, it means custom fit. You know what God's burdens are? They're custom fit for your life. They're custom made for your life. God allows a trial and says, I believe this, I believe this will help them turn their attention towards me. I'm gonna allow this in their life to help them to focus on me. 
May we view our trials through the lens that God has fit the trial perfectly for you and you for it. Why? So that it'll turn my eyes to him. You see, this morning, we need to understand that every person goes through trials, don't we? Every one of us face situations. Every one of us face heartache. But I wonder if at times that heartache isn't allowed because God wants to send or allow a wake-up call. God's allowing the phone in the hotel room of my heart to ring to say, hey, hey, you need me in this. Hey, turn your focus on me. Hey, why don't you seek me in this? Hey, don't try to go through this on your own. Why don't you put some prayer into it? Why don't you talk to me about it? Why don't you never underestimate the value of prayer to our Almighty Father? Why don't you never underestimate what I want to do in your life? And may we make this decision today that, you know what, no matter what I face, no matter the circumstances that I go through, I'm going to come into every situation and say, God, I want to allow this trial to turn my attention to you. God, I want to allow this trial to help me to focus on you. I know you've allowed it. And so God, I pray that you'd use it. Use it to turn my eyes. Help it to be a wake-up call. Esther chapter four, we don't see the name God, but I can see God. What do we see him doing? We see him allowing a trial to turn his people's heart back to him. Let's pray, God, this week, any trial I face, whether big or small, would you help it turn my attention to you? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning as we come to a time of invitation. Let's just take a moment. And this morning, let's just admit to the Lord, God, I need your help. God, I need your hand in every single area of my life. Help me, Lord, to turn to you. Help me to choose to be used by you. This morning, as we come to a time of invitation, just a couple of questions. If you're here and you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, Pastor, would you pray for me? God spoke to my heart today. Just lift your hand, just write up and write back down. Pastor, would you pray for me? God spoke to my heart today. Just write up and write back down. If God's spoken to you during the invitation, let's respond to him. God, help me. Help me to turn to you. But then maybe you're here, and you'd be honest. Pastor, God spoke to me because I don't know him as my Savior. I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. If that's you this morning, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Just slip your hand right up and right back down. Just right up and right back down. Pastor, pray for me. And whatever our need is today, let's respond to the Lord. God, I pray right now that you'd help us today. Help us to understand that you do allow trials to turn our attention to you. And Father, I pray this morning that maybe there's someone in here in a trial, Lord, going through a circumstance that's, a, that's heavy, that's burdening them down. Lord, would you help them today to just step back and say, God, use this to turn my attention to you. God, help me to focus on you. Help me to seek you in this. Lord, I pray that through the message, your word would uh, be true and come forward today. And Lord, help us to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.